0: Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Russ explores service, forgiveness, love, and the concept of cheap grace. It comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. We've been doing a series uh, called The Flourishing Life. It's been looking at the book of John, and it, um, it's, it's premised on what John premises, that these stories, the stories in John, have been curated, they've been cultivated, they've been told, they've been crafted in such a way that John says, I've, we've been telling you, th- there's so many other stories, we're telling you these so that you might believe and that you might have life. It explains why John has a whole different set of stories than anybody else. It explains why John will take a story that everybody else has and and give a different background to it. It's because it has a specific purpose. Today's passage, as you already heard, is at the heart of that. It is at the heart of what does it mean now then to follow Christ? Well, how do you follow in such a way that, that that life does come? And it's using one of the most well-known passages, and I'm going to just be upfront. I think one of the passages that has been misused, as we often do, in such a way that it actually gets in the way. So the first part, the first part today I want to talk about is, how do we not understand this passage? And the second part is, how do we? That's a you know, pretty good outline. Um, and, and the first part, I want to start with the story. Pete Rollins is an, an Irish theologian and philosopher. Um, and he wrote a book. He wrote a book of kind of modern day parables. And he talks about the time, and you remember these bumper stickers that used to be out there. In fact, it was a challenge, I believe, uh, from Billy Graham. And I said, if you were arrested today for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And so, it got him thinking, and he created this parable. I'm going to, it's I'm not going to read it all, it's, but it's, I'm going to paraphrase it and get to it, because he started playing around with that. What does that mean? What does it mean to follow? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ, and how would you know? So he begins by saying, in a world where following Christ is decreed to be subversive and an illegal activity, you have been accused of being a believer. You have been arrested and you're before court and you have been dragged there and you've been under clandestine surveillance for a long time. And when you come, you realize that 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 involves pictures of you coming to church. It involves involves scenes and clips of you professing faith, singing hymns. It involves the various prayer meetings and worship gatherings. and, And they present all the things they've confiscated from your home, the various religious books, the various artifacts, the the, the pictures of Christ, the crosses on your wall, the verses that are framed, and your Bible. It's been marked. And You imagine you have a Bible, and all the things you've ever marked are liked, and it's been noted. And there's a part of us, there's a part of you, that is worried that you're sunk. And... There's a part that wants to renounce faith because this is going to involve a lot of jail time, maybe even execution, but the other part is you want to stay faithful. So they bring you before the judge, Pete says. And in that time, you try to remain focused. You try not to open your mouth. When the judge asks, you got anything to say for yourself? You're afraid that if you open your mouth, you'll you'll just... You'll be afraid, and you'll renounce, and you don't want to do that, and you want to be faithful, and so you don't say anything, and they take you out, and then they bring you in about half an hour. And it's a crotchety old judge. And he says, as you come in, he looks you in the eye, and says, of the charges, of the charges that have been brought forward, I find the accused... Not guilty. And there's this, there's this sudden, not only just relief, but quickly it's it, it's a, a surprise and astonishment, and and then a little annoyed, and maybe even a little angry. What do you mean, not guilty? And you're not guilty. And he said, but but what, but what about, what about my Bible? What about I, I belong to a church? I have professed faith. What about the the, the times that I have in, been involved in and done all these things what about that? And the judge says, "Well, that's evidence of a good actor and nothing more. All you've proved is you like to read and you like to gather." And he says, "It's obvious that you have deluded those around you, and perhaps at times you've even deluded yourself, but this foolishness is not enough to convict you in a court of law. But this is madness. The story goes, this is madness, you shout. It would seem that there's no evidence then that would convict you. And the judge said, oh, no, not, not at all. The court is indifferent. The court is indifferent toward your Bible reading, your church attendance. It has no concern for worship or how you fill your Sundays or your professions of faith. Continue to develop your theology and comfort yourself and one another's with the pictures you paint. We have no interest in such matters who spend their time just creating images of a better world. We exist only for those who would lay down those books and their life in a Christ-like endeavor to create a better world. So until you live as Christ and as his followers did, until you challenge this system and become a thorn in our side, until you die to yourself and sacrifice your life for others, until then, my friend, you are no enemy of ours case dismissed. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. As his disciples are coming to the end, and it's coming to a climax, and they're becoming anxious, and this wonderful passage that we heard, and all those great Phrases that, 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 that are so famous that sometimes we do put on our walls and in our books and, and places that we see. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and you have seen him. I'm going to contend that this passage, this section that we have, is not only central to John, but it's central to Jesus. This, these are some of the most audacious claims And sometimes over the years, maybe you've experienced it, maybe not, I certainly have, somehow we take those audacious claims and we make them innocuous. Sometimes we take this thing that is supposed to be this amazing invitation to a life that is flourishing and full and abundant. It is participating with with, with Christ in this world. It is the enactment of the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, even as in heaven. And rather than make it an invitation to a new way of life, we have used it as a weapon against others. We've used it as a weapon to divide. We've used it as a weapon to exclude. We've used it as a weapon to cause guilt and shame. Anything, anything but the actual following of Jesus. We have turned it, and the way to to misread this, the, the way to We always get this wrong is when we make this passage, we make the claims of Jesus, we make faith itself transactional. And by that I mean this. If you do this, then God will do that. If you profess that Jesus is Lord and Savior, if you believe in your heart, then when you die, you get to go to heaven. This is a transaction. I do this, and God does this. And the whole point of faith and the whole point of Jesus is somehow to change God's mind about me. So that when I die, God will look at me differently and then let me go to heaven. You may have heard that. I've certainly heard sermons to that effect. Even to the point that when, when you die and you go to heaven, God doesn't really see you because you're behind Christ. And it's sort of this kind of sneak in the side door and we fooled God. It comes to all kinds of silliness, right? It comes to, but what if I wait until the very end? What if my last, I, I lead a terrible life. But at the last second, I say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Oh, God didn't think of that. Oh, he found a loophole. The God of the universe who made and knows and creates everything. Oh, we missed on that one. See how silly that is. Do you see how nonsensical? But because of that, that transaction, then we have taken, and because we're going to change mind, God's mind about us, then... Then we use this to shame others because they haven't said it or they haven't said it the right way. They haven't claimed Christ in the way that we recognize, using the right words, the right doctrines, the right practices. And so now we we use guilt, we use shame, we exclude and we judge one another. We have taken a passage that, that is what God is wanting to do and what God is trying to do in this world and we have beat each other up with it. The other part of this, because the whole point of faith, when we use it as a transactional passage, the other thing is then, therefore, I don't have to do anything else. I said Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I have it marked in my Bible, the day I came forward, the day I rose my hand, the way I joined the church, whatever that is, that when you said those things and you believed those things, therefore that's that's it. Nothing else needs to happen because the whole change is about how do I change God's mind about me? I don't have to change. Do I have to get good at forgiveness? No. Do I have to sacrifice? Do I have to give up prejudice? Gee, that all sounds like a lot of work. And the passage here says, if I believe in Jesus, I get to go to heaven, so... Nice stuff, but it doesn't really have anything to do with me. What about the care for the poor or the outcast? How about including those who are on the edges, the immigrant? Say those words and somebody's going to say, oh, you're getting political now. This is about believing in Jesus. Let's just talk about a simple faith so that I believe in my heart so that when I die, I go to heaven. Let's just talk about grace. It's transactional. Not only is it a violation to everything that's in this passage and everything Jesus has been talking about, it looked nothing like the life of a follower. It looks an awful lot like what another theologian was talking about 60 years ago, 70 years ago. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer as he was looking at the nominal face that that was professed around Europe, and he called it cheap grace. We've cheapened grace, he says. It's free, but it is expensive. It costs something. It's part of his book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he says, cheap grace is the grace that doesn't require any change. You preach salvation, but there's no Repentance preach grace but there's no discipleship there's no sacrifice we have cheapened this thing so that it no longer has any life in it and it leaves us disconnected from God it leaves us disconnected from others it leaves us disconnected even from our true self the bad news of course about a transactional faith is it doesn't work who needs one more thing, one more religious reason to divide and, and, and separate ourselves? Who needs one more thing that doesn't have any effect on this world? Who needs one more thing that we use to, to beat one another up, to give, uh, be a source of shame? Do we need any more of those things? It doesn't work, and and it doesn't even work on ourselves. Because in this transaction, I do this, and then God's going to take care of me. This, this sense of being self-insulated and self-righteous and self justified, then I don't then I don't even have to worry about the world because God's going to take care of me because I did what I was supposed to do. I fulfilled my part of the bargain and so now I don't have to I'm exempt from the problems and the trials and the suffering of the world because God is now with me. I got the verses on my wall that tell me that. The good news is. It doesn't work. And the good news is something that doesn't work sometimes has to absolutely fail for something new to begin. Before something new life comes, something else has to die. And sometimes, and I I suspect most of us have gone through that period. I know I have. There was a period when the transactional faith made great sense and I did what I was supposed to and Boy, that was great. And then life happens and it doesn't work and it doesn't work and you become less satisfied. And that's a good thing because that means that this is about to fall apart so that something real can begin. And that's where I wanna stop in this first part and and, and direct your attention to the screen. Randy and Leanne put together a song and Leanne took, (laughs) just played with some words of a a well-known song. And in a playful way, talked about this, this thing, this faith that we thought was going to work, that we had it dialed in, and now it just falls apart. So that, so that something else can possibly begin on the other side. As you do, where has faith been transactional for you? And what is the evidence of you as a follower?
1: once were lost, and now you're found. You heard Jesus say, and you like the sound. The one of hope was waiting, and knew you and God were more so tight. How could it felt to be so right? You signed my knees, a righteous hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And the Holy One had other plans, life was hard. You weren't a fan. The work of faith and truth really, truly. Easy God of black and white was now a God of shadowed light, and in the night, You search for Hallelujah, 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 Following this God was tough. It came to blows, you'd had enough. Was this a God they dreamed of to fool you? But beyond the rules, there's a quiet peace. It's a holy love that'll never cease. From trembling lips, you whisper, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Hallelujah, Alleluia Hallelujah. 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 God was once a hidden face Now you dwell in holy grace The God of love lives and breathes all through you your stillness, you seek the one you know. This love can't be undone, and every breath becomes comes on Hallelujah, Hallelujah,
0: Hallelujah,
1: Alleluia Hallelujah. Alleluia. 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 Alleluia.
0: Alleluia. So if a transactional way of looking at God and faith doesn't work, what does? What is this passage about? I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't have to worry about the Father. I am it. What, what does that mean then? And, and as Ali suggested earlier today, the harder part of this is that maybe just maybe Jesus was serious. That there really was a way of living that was different. There really was a path to follow that changed the way, not just your mindset, but also the, the, the position of your heart and the way that you lived. It, it required something to give over because you were now following in a different way. This had to do something with, not transaction, but transformation. And rather than waiting for us to die so that when we die now, we've gone to heaven because we've got all the right boxes checked, what if, what if this life is supposed so that we begin to participate in that life right now? The life of God and connection with God begins right now. The life that flourishes, Jesus says, that I came to bring is here. The context of this passage is important because if we, when we misuse it, we cherry pick. We take this verse and we use it and we drop it into whatever argument we have, however we want to use it, and we miss the point that the context is that this is right before this. Right before this, Jesus is washing his disciples' feet and says, you call me Lord, and you're right. And if I'm washing your feet, you ought to wash each other's. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. In that same time, he's talking to his disciples and says, listen, people are going to wonder who you are. This is how they're going to know you're my disciples, is that you love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. There is no other way. He talks in that same time and then enacts it in the next, very next thing of laying down his life for others, of sacrificing all for what God is doing, of being willing to lay all of that down. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life, Jesus says. And you can trust God in all of this, not to exempt you from the problems, but as Jesus says in the next chapter over, I have overcome the world. It's not that you won't have problems, but in the midst of it, you will have peace because you'll be there in in the presence of God with you. This is it. This is what it's about. And the life of God is now. Find ways to abide. Find ways to connect with the God who is here so that your life might bear fruit. This is the life. This is the way. This is the truth. There is no other way. Thomas, Thomas, There is no other shortcut. There is no clever way of going around and just using the right words or going through the right motions. This is about a transformation of life. This is about service to others. This is about sacrifice of self. This is about including all, including this motley group of disciples that Jesus has with him that nobody would give the time of day. One of the ways we know that is because in the very early days in the book of Acts, and a lot of translations miss this because they don't don't catch what this is, and sometimes because we have a blind spot, that the earliest Christians were known not as Christians. That came later. The earliest Christians were known as people of the way. Because there was a way that they lived. There was a way that they acted. There was a way that they gathered. And you, about seven or eight different times it shows up in the book of Acts. And one of them is it's, as Paul is talking about his own life. He says, I persecuted this way up to the point of death. And as he's talking about his own journey and path and how his life changed. And this I admit to you, that according to the way, which people call a sect, And then he goes on to explain it. And again and again, and it's Felix, the governor, who was familiar with the way. And it was other people who knew the way. Uh, And so because of the way that we think about the language, it doesn't always stand out. But that's how they were known. And when you see that, you begin to see that everything they did was because they understood there was a different way to live. And when we talk about the habits of gathering and learning and praying and serving, these are the ways that they built that way into their life. And it still is. Do you want to be close to God? And Jesus would say, well, join us. Participate. This is what it's for. This is why I'm here, so that you get to be a part of that. Be with with God as God is pouring himself out for the poor and, and the outcast. And when God is giving grace, when God is changing lives, when God is changing this world, and sometimes it will be subversive and sometimes the authorities will notice. Sometimes it is a thing that you notice within yourself because your heart begins to break in different ways and it goes out. Did you notice all the different ways that heart was breaking today for for conflict, for war, for the misery? Those were spontaneous individual responses because that's what happens when God gets into our life and we begin to participate in. Next week we're going to do it a different way. It, it could be subversive, and sometimes it, it can be where we give of ourselves and we open ourselves in prayer. Sometimes we give, and there's different ways to give to all the places in the world where there is hunger and there is thirst and there is homelessness and there is war and there are atrocities, and there, there are ways to do that. And then there's ways to just think about it differently for yourself. So that's why that next week we decided to have some fun with it when we found out it's Mr. Rogers' birthday. And some of the materials, we we decide we're going to call next Sunday Neighbor Day. You've heard of Labor Day? This is going to be Neighbor Day. And we're just going to, what does that mean to live in a different way? So that being a neighbor doesn't just mean proximity of zip code, but the way that we live. And is that even realistic anymore? We're inviting people to wear sweaters cardigans if you want to be a literalist but it doesn't really matter we're not literalists so you know you can wear sweater vests bring the name of five neighbors with you bring the name of five neighbors whether they're up and down your street or at work or whatever neighborhood makes sense to you bring names with you of five Because God is about something, God is doing something, and God is inviting us to be a part of it. Here's the truth, there is a way of, to the life of God, and it is about service to others, sacrifice of self. It is about the inclusion of all. It is dying to ourself for the life of others. That is the way, that is the truth. That is the life, and Jesus says there is no other, and there still isn't, but there is a way to life. Would you join me in prayer? We do not want to be deluded, O God, with our life and our faith. We do not want to just pretend, go through motions, say empty phrases, if they don't have something to do with life, if they don't have something to do with suffering, if they don't have something to do with blessing, if they don't have something to do with grace, if they don't have something to do with what you are doing, if it doesn't connect us deeper to you, if it doesn't connect us to one another, if it doesn't connect us to our true self and who we are and who we're becoming, then, oh God, wake us up. Let us hear those words afresh, even if they've become jaded over the years. That we might hear a new invitation. And that rather than being concerned with a statement of faith, our primary concern is a statement of our life. And that as we do, the response, the response becomes an allelujah. Hallelujah from our heart, and from our world. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.